We're starting a new series, you may have noticed, um, on the bulletin here, Simon, Cephas, now this is all the same person. Um, You know him, most of us know him by the name Peter, Uh, but he had a lot of different names. Simon was one, Cephas was one. Uh, When Jesus told Peter, he says, I tell you, you are... Peter, actually, the the word he used there was Petra, which that word translated directly means rock. So when when Jesus said to Peter, because he goes, okay, you're Simon, but I'm going to start calling you rock. We kind of took it and Americanized it and came up with Peter. All right, but Jesus, I don't think, ever called him Peter. He called him rock, like Rocky, you know? And, uh, and so, and, and of course, Rocky, that's just one of those series that, okay, ad- admittedly, with the exception of, of like, like number five and six, they were pretty good. Okay, we like to forget five and six entirely. There were seven of them in all, and they're just, they're just kind of these feel-good, feel-good, uh, 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 inspirational type of stories, and of course, it just came out with a new one, the, the, the latest one called Creed. Uh, in the Rocky Saga. Now, today's lesson, oh, but before I even get to that, all of these lessons have really nothing to do with Rocky Balboa. Okay, I just wanted to clarify that. All right, yeah. That's just a hook, okay? They really are going to be taken from the life of Peter and different experiences that Peter was present or involved in, all right? But we may tongue-in-cheek and for the sake of of entertainment and memory, grab some things from a Rocky movie, like today's title, What Are We Waiting For? (laughs) Now, before I get an email correcting my English, I know it's not fur, and fur is actually not a word. But in this scene in Rocky II, when, you know, Rocky's supposed to be getting ready for the fight, but his wife, you know, she's about to have this baby, but she goes into a coma, and, you know, she has the baby, but she's in a coma, and Rocky, he's just distracted, forget the fight, I'm not going to fight, I'm just staying here, and you have this long, okay, drawn-out thing where he's staying there, and then finally, she wakes up, and Rocky's there, and Mickey, his trainer's there, and Adrian's there in the bed, and she tells him, come here, come here, come here, she tells Rocky, win, and he goes, what? And she goes, when? And Mickey stands up and goes, what are we waiting for? (laughs) (laughs) I love that scene because he's like, okay, what are we doing? And that's what this basically thing, that's what this lesson's going to be talking about is that that question. What are we waiting for? Because it kicked off the obligatory Rocky workout montage, which is so inspiring. (laughs) I got another story, though. This one goes back in time. Back in the 1800s, early America, basically around 1831, there was this religious group. They were called Millerites. They were led by this fellow by the name of William Miller. And he had made a prediction in 1831 that in about a dozen years or so, the Lord was coming again. So sometime between March 1842 and March 1843, Jesus was going to be returning. And this this movement, this group, this, this concept, it, it started just gathering traction. I mean, everybody was fired up. Everybody, I mean, they gathered hundreds and hundreds and just captured the imagination of the nation. 
And uh, so they, they were happening, and it was going. March 82, I mean, 42 came, 1842. March 1843 came. Nothing happened. People got all discouraged. They're going, oh, man. And some of them, they kind of kept the faith. You know, he didn't show up. They were, there was disappointment until August the 12th, 1844. Up in New Hampshire, they were having this tent meeting, right? You can do that in August in New Hampshire. And somebody stood up and declared that he had received a message from God and that on October the 22nd, that was indeed the date. I don't know if it was because everybody was so disappointed that he didn't come when, you know, William said he was going to come. But, I mean, this thing caught like wildfire. Oh, okay, we were just off a few months. And everybody got behind it. People were quitting their jobs. There was one guy who, who shut his business down. He put a sign in the door. I want to read this. He says, the shop is closed to honor the king of kings who will appear about the 20th of October. He didn't say the 20th. He was, you know. Get ready, friends, to crown him Lord of all. Like I said, people, farmers, just forget harvest. Don't have to worry about the harvest. Left it in the fields. October 22nd came, and Jesus didn't. Now, these guys, they were very disappointed, but they meant well. But they had fallen into a trap. And so it reminds us of the truth that even Jesus himself said over 2,000 years ago, right before he left in Matthew 24, he said, guys, about that day and the hour, nobody knows. Not even the angels in heaven, not even me. Only God knows when. Now, Jesus is going to come, but he says, you're not going to know when. No one's going to get told it's on this date or that date. Peter, Rocky, in a letter he wrote, we call it 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 10, he said, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Well, when does the thief come? That's the thing about thieves. They don't tell you, Right? <laughs> says the heavens will disappear uh, with a roar. The elements are going to be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. He says, now since everything's going to be destroyed in this way, what kind of people should we be? That's a good question, right? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of the Lord and speed its coming. That day is going to bring about the destruction of the heavens with fire and the elements are going to be melted in heat. But in keeping with his promise, we're looking forward to a new heaven, a new earth, where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you're looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that the Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul uh, wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. So he's saying, Pete's saying, look, Jesus is coming Jesus is going to be, about, therefore, we should, look, we should live our lives anticipating that day, and that's what those kind of people were, were kind of doing. But he said, don't just sit around waiting. Live holy and godly lives. That will please him when he comes back. So we've got to be careful of not falling into this trap, and the trap I'm talking about is stargazing. Okay. Now we're going to pick up the key passage in our story. It's in Acts chapter 1 with Peter and the other apostles. And in Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 6, 
This is Jesus and all of his, his disciples, plus his apostles. They were gathered around him, and they asked him, Lord, is, are, uh, are, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times and the dates the Father has uh, set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in Judea, and in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. See, these guys were concerned. They had questions. They had gaps and holes in their theology. And if we're honest, we don't like to not know what's going to happen in our lives or what. Just let me know what's next, Lord. Is now, is this what's coming up? And so they're asking Jesus, and they're asking him about this, and Jesus says, guys, you don't need to know that stuff. This, what you need to know is this. You're going to get my spirit. You're going to get this special power, okay? And when that happens, then you're going to be my witnesses. You need to share the story around the world. Everything else, don't worry about it. Don't sweat it. That's fluff. You know what you need to know. And to accentuate this, verse 9, he leaves. He said in verse 9, as he said this, he was taken up before their eyes, and, they could, and the cloud hid him from their sight. He goes, guys, you don't need to worry about that. Go into Jerusalem. You'll be clothed with power. Then you're going to be my witnesses. See you later. Adios. Awesome scene, though. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, this little picture here, you know, and... I'm trying to find, I'm looking, and, and you know, you get all the, of course, the, uh, you know, the pictures from the Renaissance period where they're all kind of, you know, and it's kind of cheesy, and, and I go, how do you do it? I found a Lego one, but then that seemed kind of, you know, cheapening the Lord's ascension. I didn't want to do that. But, but you know, I mean, because how do you capture this scene? How do you capture, I mean, the Lord, he had been with them. They had given up everything in their lives for him. And then they had watched him executed before their very eyes, lost all hope, and then boom, he returns, he's alive. Now it's like, come on, this is it. He's going to restore his kingdom and it's going to be powerful and we're going to rule. And Jesus goes, nah, go to Jerusalem, wait, you'll be my witnesses, see you later. And they're standing there. And in verse 10, they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going. And suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here looking up in the sky? The same Jesus who was taken from you from heaven, he's going to come back the same way you saw him go into heaven. Basically, at this point, the angels are coming up to the guys and they're going, guys, what are you doing? You gone? He's going to come back, but until that happens, he told you what he wants you to be doing. And that's when Peter said, what are we waiting for? <laughs> See, I think Rocky stole it from Peter. <laughs> because they finally realized, wait, we're not supposed to just stand here looking and gazing up into the heavens. Many of us fall into this trap. Of just longing to be with Jesus, longing to see Jesus, longing to look at Jesus. We become, as some people say, so heavenly minded, we are of no earthly good. We're just looking and looking instead of Jesus. I got something. I told you what I want you to do. I want you to, to go and to be my witnesses. 
Reminds me of a story. Now, we're in playoff season, right? In football, I know. Three, four more weeks, you won't have to hear any more football illustrations. But, yeah, but for right now, you're going to. No, but it's a game, but it's not a, it's not a pro game. It's a high school game because high school football, I mean, there is passion there because there's parents there. And there was this game, and this one team, it was getting beat. It was getting just dominated, slapped down. Nothing was going right, and they had the ball. And finally, this father stood up in the stands, and he said, Put Calhoun in! And they all look up, and okay, they run the play. Stopped. Not even a gain of one yard. So the father stands up again. He said, put Calhoun in. Well, finally, this kid runs out there with Calhoun written on the back of his jersey. And I'm going, okay, let's see what happens. And the second play runs, and they hand off the ball, but they don't hand it to Calhoun. They hand it to somebody else, and it stopped. Not a game. For a Cowboy fan, we know how that feels. <laughs> and the father stands up again, and he goes, give Calhoun the ball. So the next play, they hike the ball. The quarterback fades back to pass, and he throws it not to Calhoun. He throws it to another player, but it's an incomplete pass. Nothing. It's fourth down. The father finally stands up, and he goes, give Calhoun. And then Calhoun turns around and goes, shut up, Dad. I don't want the ball. <laughs> See, many of us are like Calhoun. Our father is yelling for us to get in the game. Run with the ball. And we're going, I don't want the ball. It's hard. I'm just happy gazing at Jesus. I'm just happy watching the game. Oh, there's a lot of Christians. There's a lot of us who... We, we, we come to Christ and we behave just like that. We get, we get all excited about God in our lives. And we should. We receive the greatest gift in history, the salvation of our souls, which God provides at a great cost. And we receive our, our airship now. Now we're back as children of God, and then we just want to live our lives in the blessings and seeking the, the, the pleasures and the benefits of being with God. And we really don't want to get in the game and have the ball in our hands we just want to enjoy being on the winning team. And inherently, we know somewhere deep inside that that's really not how it should be. We know, we see throughout the scriptures, there's men and there's women and men and women of great faith. And we read the stories of how they, they put themselves out there and they sacrifice and they give and they, they take chances with their lives and their faith and they stand tall in, in times of hardships. And we know God gave us these examples because that's what he's looking for, people who will stand up to say, give me the ball. I don't know what I'll do with it, but give it to me. I'll figure something out. And in our heart of hearts, we know that just standing around is not really going to cut it. So how do we avoid this trap that apostles had? Right, just standing around. Well, I've given this some immense thought. I've read and studied by learned scholars of the Bible and, and Greek and Hebrew. Prayed and worked on this. And I have come 
to a deep theological conclusion that the way to avoid the trap of just standing around is do something. Just do something. Now the question is, but what if I do the wrong thing? Well, I've done that too. But what if I do the wrong thing? Let's go back and see what happened with Iraqi here. Now back in Acts 1, this is a weird thing here. You might not know it's weird, but I'm going to tell you in just a second how it's weird. In verse 15, Jesus had told them, go back in Jerusalem. Then they were gazing up at Jesus. The angel said, what are you waiting for? Go do what he said to do. So they go back to Jerusalem, and now they're just sitting around. Okay, they're not standing around, but they're sitting around. What are we doing? We're waiting. We're just sitting. So finally in those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group that numbered about 120 people. And he said, brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number. He shared in our ministry. And he has a little parentheses here. He says, uh, with the payment he received for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong. His body burst open. His intestines spilled out. It's pretty disgusting. Uh, everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called that field, in their language, uh, a keldama, something like that. That is, field of blood. Okay, back to Peter. For, Peter said, it is written in the book of songs, may his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one from among the men who was with us the whole time that Jesus, our Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time that we saw him taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they nominated a couple of guys, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left uh, to go where he belongs. And they cast lots. The lot fell on Matthias, and so he was added to the 11 apostles. Now, this is what's strange about this. Peter quotes a couple of passages. If you go back and look at these passages, you may scratch your head and go, how in the world did you ever get all of this out of that? They come from two different psalms. Now, the first one, that one that talks about, you know, uh, the one about uh, may his place be deserted, no one but dwell in it, etc. That's a fairly well-known messianic psalm. Okay, I can find it. The second one is like another one take his place of leadership. It just kind of seems in the middle of this other psalm, and you're going, how did you get that out of that? Now, maybe he did, maybe he didn't. Jesus never told them, you got to replace Judas. Jesus never actually even said, there's guys, there's got to be a dozen of you. Okay? Even if there did have to be a dozen, they didn't know. God's already worked all that out. We got Paul coming in a little while, all right? They just don't know it yet. But Peter's like, man, I can't just sit around and do nothing. Let's replace Judas. And let's get a guy who was with us from the very beginning. Da, 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 da. And they had evidently... Out of 120 people, more than just, I think, two to pick from who had been with them a long time. And that's just another clue into the Gospels. That's a little side note. Sometimes we think it was just Jesus and the 12 walking around. There's actually a huge crowd with him many times walking around. Because they found these guys. They'd been with them all the way from, John's, from the baptism by John the Baptist to his ascension. 
The thing is, is was it a command, possibly? I mean, I guess it could have been a command, or it could have been that God just said, you know what, hey, that's great, I'll honor it. Let's go with it. Because you know what? You're doing something. You're working with it. Matthias is added to their number. We never hear anything about him again. We don't know what in the world really happened to him. But we know that two more times, even before Paul is appointed as an apostle, the term the twelve is used. So it was accepted. He was one of them and made it into that, that crowd. But the point is this. God often honors our best efforts. Even when it wasn't something that he said specifically, this is exactly what I want you to do. He'll honor it. Matter of fact, in Romans 8, 28, it says, We know that all things work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Now, to be clear, I'm not talking about compromising commands, okay? I'm not talking about if God commands purity, and we say, well, yeah, but with a sincere heart and my best efforts, I'm really in love with this person, and we're going to go mess around. So God will honor that because I've got a pure heart about it. I'm not talking about going against commands. I'm talking about, though, sometimes we just need to provide motion. People say, is this God's will? I don't know. We just need to provide motion. God will give us direction. But we need to do something. Anything. Just do. God said, just do something. I can honor it. I can work with it. If we said, if we all decided, what am I waiting for? I got to get out and do something. God basically says, great, because you know why? I can work all things together for the good for those that love me. I can handle your efforts and what you can do. This can happen in our life. If I said, you know what? I'm going to go talk to so-and-so about Jesus. Is it God's will that I talk to them? I don't know. Is it, is it the right time? What should I say? What if I say the wrong thing? I don't know. Just do something. I'm going to ask so-and-so how their marriage is doing. I'm going to invite so-and-so to come to church or to come to my house church or to come meet with somebody, you know, we're going to have a, a party and, and, and with all the people from church. I'm going to invite the others to come. Does God want me to do that? I think God said, I can work with that. I'm going to invite 10 people every week to join me at church. Well, I don't know. That sounds like a number or something. Well, just do something. God can say, you know, God said, I can do it. I can work with that. I can work with whatever. Think about Peter. Think about these guys. Jesus ascends. He goes back up in the hand. They still don't know what's going on. They don't know the plan. They go into Jerusalem. They're still standing around. What do we do? They go, I don't know. Kind of getting bored. I know what we'll do. We'll, we'll place Judas. <laughs> we're we're, we're going to get organized again. We'll, we'll, we'll fill this gap. So they do it. And I think God honors it. And then finally the Spirit comes, and, 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 and that's a great time there in Acts 2, and I think Josh is actually going to be preaching on that scene uh, in, in a few weeks. But, uh, you know, they say, we've got to do something. But what were they doing even before the Holy Spirit came? Nothing. They were there standing, they were praying, but they were just, well, we're just waiting. And finally the Spirit came, and Peter says, okay, what am I waiting for? Stands up and starts talking to the crowd. Public preaching, does that work? I don't know, but God worked out that day. God can use whatever. You don't know. you got to do something. 
Now, even for our guests here today, you're not a part of this church. And, okay, but I, I even call you, you know, do something for God. You say, well, I don't know. I, I'm not a Bible person. Maybe you need to get in a Bible study. Maybe you need to find out for yourself what the Bible really says. We call people to do that, and we have these little cards in the pew, and it says, dig deeper. And you just give us the name and, a, and an email address. Matter of fact, fill it out right now. In just a little bit, we're going to have contribution. You can put it in that thing instead of, you know, a dollar or whatever. Put it in the plate, and somebody will contact you in the next two days to say, hey, let's get together and talk. Let's see what the Bible says. Let's look at it. Why? Just do something. What are you waiting for? Some of us are here. You've been coming to church and coming to church and coming to church, and I'm saying, guys, what are you waiting for? What really? What are you waiting for? Because you never know what can happen. You never know what God's going to do. You never know how God can take a small effort, a small offering, a small chance, and turn it into something beyond your imagination. And to illustrate this point, we're going to sing a song together. Now, this song is, um, was written by a student in a, in a school in Kentucky. It was a Christian school, and he was going to a music class in Kentucky, all right? And one of the assignments in the music class was write a hymn for churches to sing. And so this kid wrote this hymn, turned it in, and uh, the teacher didn't like it. Teacher said, nobody's going to sing this song. Y'all come on up, singers. Nobody's going to sing this song. It's not that good. The kid got a C in his grade. Yet this song basically has become a Christian anthem. The kid's name was Rich Mullins. The song's name is Awesome God. And we're going to stand and sing it together to really illustrate that no matter what you give, and some people may say, that's just a C, that's no good, no one's going to use it. God can take it and turn it into something incredible. Indeed. Indeed. And something that inspires and encourages people for generations. So let's stand up and let's... Think about this thing as we sing Awesome God. All right. Because when we think I've got an awesome God, we need to think, so what am I waiting for? Yeah.